Amen. So we will be in chapter 11. Here's where we're at if you haven't been here. The people of Israel have asked for a king. It's kind of a rejection of Samuel. And they get a king. His name is Saul. So Saul steps in. He is the new leader now. He's been anointed, ordained. But the end of chapter 10 ends like this. It's verse 27. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he, Saul, held his peace. Can you imagine that? A people not accepting a new ruler. Hmm, that would never happen. <laughs> we trust the rulers, right? So you have that as kind of the last thing after his coronation, after he's brought in, there's a little bit of division. There's this, is he really the legitimate ruler or not? Well, chapter 11 is a crisis. And there's a famous saying, and it's maybe Winston Churchill, no one's quite sure. But if it was, he said this, never waste a good crisis. And it's during crisis that you can make a lot of change, so never waste a good crisis. Have you noticed that? There's a lot of change in a time of crisis. I'll give you an example. It's not the one you're thinking about. <laughs> if you've flown on airplanes prior to 9-11, September 11, 2001, you know that flying has changed dramatically because of a crisis right? Massively. So when, when I was in the business world, there was a time where I was flying probably about once every other week, just gone. I, I, I added it up one time. I was, I was gone from my home for five months in one year. So just a lot of travel. And it was right during that time. So that I just noticed like every time I'd go to the airport, there'd be something new. And uh, there was a time when you didn't have to remove your shoes. I don't know if you remember that. But if you had metal on your shoes, you had to remove them. So I bought a special pair of shoes that had no metal in them, no eyelets, nothing, so that I could just walk through without taking my shoes off. So for, I don't know, a couple months, that was no problem. But then there was the shoe bomber. Remember him? The guy that had the bomb in his shoe and he tried to light it, right? Well, when that happened, th there was another crisis, right? So like a week later, I get, go to Rogue Valley International Airport in Medford. And I get there, and I'm walking in, and the lady says, would you like to remove your shoes? I said, no, these are special shoes. They have no metal in them. There's not a problem. She goes, sir, would you like to remove your shoes? I said, no, I wouldn't. They don't have any metal in them. Then she just looks over and goes, there's someone who won't take off his shoes. I'm like, what? What's going on here? Two TSA agents just come out. Come here. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'll take them off. She's like, it's too late. I've been in counseling for years from that event, all right? So that's what happens in crisis. Like there's massive kind of change movement that can take place. So in chapter 11, we get a crisis and it's not going to be wasted. Check this out. Verse one. 
Then Nahash, the Ammonite, went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we'll serve you. But Nahash, the Ammonite, said to them, on this condition, I will make a treaty with you that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days respite that we may send messengers throughout all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Here's the crisis. You have Nahash. His name in Hebrew literally means snake. The snake king has come. And he says, you know, I'm going to take out Jabesh Gilead. And the people of Jabesh Gilead at first are like, hey, hey, time out, man. We don't want to fight you. We just want to make a treaty with you. They just roll over like a beat dog. That's how broken the people of Israel are from the time of the judges, right? That we're still kind of coming out of the time of the judges. They're just beat down as a people. Morale is low. They have no will to resist. It's like an elephant. You can break an elephant when it's a calf and then just a tiny little twine, you can tie it up to a tree and it'll never break it. It's like that. They've been so broken because of year after year of this that they're just like, give us the terms. We'll make a treaty. We won't fight you. So the snake man says, okay, here's the terms. I'm going to poke out your right eye. I'm like, well, that's a little bit of a sticking point for us. Hold on a second, because that will make us forever servants, never able to defend ourselves, right? If you have a blind side, you are no good in war. So here's what they say. Let us go out. Let us take seven days and go and see if there'll be any help in Israel. And the snake king says, go ahead and try it. Why would he say that? Because the word on the street about Israel was this. Yeah, they don't care about each other. The other 11 tribes could care less about Jabesh Gilead, which was just across the Jordan River, kind of outside. They're like, ah, we're not going to help them. Don't we feel a little bit like that? If something happened in San Francisco, would you be like, oh, we got to get down and help them? Maybe not, right? If there was something that was happening every night up in Portland for like a year, would you, man, we gotta go there and help them. Or would you be like, no, you know, you, know, that's, that's, you, you moved there, so, right? Aren't we a little bit like this as well? I don't know, like if Ted Wheeler all of a sudden said, there's a mandate out in Portland, everybody has to wear hazmat suits wherever they go. What'd you say? Serves them right, you know? They can leave if they want to. So, there's a little bit of that as, as well. So Nahash, the snake king, is like, mm, no one's going to help you. You guys are on your own. So this sets up the crisis, right? So Saul, he's the king. But is he really king yet? Because there's still verse 27 hanging out there. Uh, some of the people are like, oh, I don't know about this guy. Can he save us? Can he help us? I'm not really sure. Right? So th there, there's, a, there's a little bit of that still in them. So here's what happens. Now behold, 
Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, what is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard those words and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. (laughs) Does this story ring a bell in anyone's head? Someone cutting up a carcass and sending out all the pieces to Israel to gather them together for a war. It's straight out of the book of Judges, right? The Levite and his concubine that gets raped and she gets killed. And the Levite cuts up that concubine and sends out the pieces to all the 12 tribes. It's the same thing. Here's what's interesting. The men of Jabesh Gilead know Saul's not really the king yet, but they immediately send a message to Saul. Why? Saul's a Benjamite. If you remember that story, here's what happened. In the war that happened, the civil war in Israel that happened there in Judges 19 and 20 and 21, they almost completely wiped out the entire tribe of Benjamin, did they not? Only 400 men survived and they didn't have wives. And all the 11 tribes had taken a vow saying, we will not give our daughters to any Benjamite to get married. So all of a sudden, they're like, "Uh uh-oh, we have destroyed an entire tribe. What are we going to do? And so then they ask, is there any city that didn't send some people out to help us fight the Benjamites? Guess what city did not send anybody out to fight? Jabesh Gilead. So like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go over to Jabesh Gilead, and we're going to steal 400 girls from there and bring them back so that they can marry these Benjamin. Remember that story? I mean, it's just bizarre. Okay, long story short, Saul's grandma or mom was from Jabesh Gilead. It's his family. That this is, <clears throat> they contact him because it's a family tie. Saul is related to the people of Jabesh Gilead. So it's bigger than that. Right? So is it different if you have family in Portland, Portland and they put all these mandates on your family up there? Oh, it changes everything. Oh, that makes me mad. My niece, my nephew, they have to wear a hazmat suit to school. This is terrible, right? That's what begins to happen. So you have that kind of playing in right here. It's like this. This crisis is a gift from God to Saul to solidify the kingdom. Now, why is that important? Because God was not behind a king at this time. We'll see that. It wasn't God's idea to do a king, right? So even though God was not 100% behind this plan, even though they pushed this and did this, once it happened, God was like, okay, you're still my people. All right. You've given me lemons. Let's go ahead and make some lemonade. We're going to do the best I possibly can. I love that so much about God. And so what happens It says, the spirit of God came upon Saul. Now, here's just a little fact for you if you're interested in a study of how the spirit works. In the Hebrew scripture, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, 
there is never one incident of God's spirit coming upon somebody where the result was not service to God's people. There's never a time when God's spirit comes upon somebody for their own selfish interest, for something that they want. I think that's really important when you begin to try to say, what is God's spirit trying to accomplish when it comes upon somebody? What's the purpose of it? It is always in the entirety of Hebrew scripture in service to God's people to help them. And that's what you see right here. It's all right, Saul needs power. I'm gonna rush upon him. But there's also something very interesting about this. It's the spirit of God, Elohim in the Hebrew. Not the spirit of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is Yahweh in the Hebrew. Only two people from Genesis through 2 Kings, the entire history of Israel before it goes into Babylon, only two people are ever anointed by the spirit of Elohim. Balaam, who is a pagan prophet who tries to curse God's people and God won't let him, and Saul. I think that's an important distinction because there are other people that have the spirit of Yahweh fall upon them and their results are very different. Well, see, Saul, it's almost like there's a slight distinction here. Doesn't mean it's a different spirit, but it's just interesting. It's the generic name of God, not his covenant name that he makes with Israel. It's like right now we're already seeing, hmm, history lesson. Balaam was the only other guy anointed with this spirit. Hmm, what's up with Saul? What's the deal here, okay? So you kind of have all that working in here and he gets angry, is it okay to be angry? Yes and no. <laughs> Ephesians 4.26, be angry. Someone's writing that down right now. My life verse, I keep that one. <laughs> be angry, but sin not. It's all the fruit of your anger. Is it selfish? Is it because I got hurt somewhere, some way? Is it because of me? Or Saul's anger here is a righteous indignation that his people are being attacked by the snake king and he's going to gouge out their right eyes. That is a good, righteous indignation. I'm going to protect people. There are things that should make God's people very angry. When the vulnerable, when women and children are being hurt, righteous indignation should come up in a believer and say, that is wrong. What can I do about it? When people are molested or raped or those kind of things happen, there should be in us, that is totally unacceptable. Not in my town. I won't accept that. That is good, righteous indignation. So this, it's really good news for Israel that Saul's got this anger. It's really bad news for his oxen because they get cut up right? So here it is, right? It's coming. And then when Saul sends out this message, notice who he includes in it. He calls in this army and he says, hey, come because Saul and Samuel are calling you. Interesting to me. Saul kind of knows I'm not exactly king yet. 
So I better drop a name on this as well. I'm not sure they're gonna respond to just me. So I'm dropping a name as well. Samuel's name gets dropped. Do you know how powerful it is to name drop? (laughs) I remember many years ago, myself and a couple other guys, we took this big trip up through Washington and out into Montana and around, and then back into Idaho and then back down. We're in the school of ministry at the time. And we decided to stop by the K house, Chuck Missler. Anybody knows who Chuck Missler is, right? So he was a hero of ours at the time. Uh, Love him. He's passed on. He's in heaven now. But I I wanted to meet Chuck Missler. So I'm like, hey, let's stop by his little place, the little K house place. So we pull in there. It was like 445, like quitting time. And I hop out. I'm looking around. And he just happened to walk out the door right when we parked. And so I'm like, I'm going over to him. So I, I was like, hey, Mr. Missler. I'm like trying to be like, uh, Mr. Missler. And he's like, kind of looks over me and he just keeps walking. Like a word to his, he had this grand Cherokee. He's walking like, yeah, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, hey, I just wanted to say hello. Hello, he keeps walking. I'm like, oh man, uh, if I'm gonna meet him, I gotta take a different route right here. I'm like, yeah, I'm up from Applegate Christian Fellowship from John Corson's School of Ministry. Oh, really? I'm like, yes. Win. <laughs> so he took us back into the studio. He showed us all around. He gave us all like this free stuff. We met his son-in-law. We stayed the night of his son-in-law's house that night. He cooked a giant breakfast. I was like, wow, he must really like John. <laughs> name dropping works. Samuel name drop, or Samuel is, his name is dropped and this massive army comes out. And it says the dread of the Lord fell upon the people and they came out as one man. And when he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah, 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. (laughs) That's an understatement, huh? Hey, stop making the eye patches. We're not going to be pirates. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day, Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning Watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Brilliant. He wins. He does it. There's a bit of a trick, right? Jabesh Gilead, they tell the snake king and his crew, hey, tomorrow we'll surrender. So what do you think they did that night? Probably celebrated maybe a little bit too much. And then Saul's army just comes in and just wipes them out. Because Saul, what we've seen, was actually anointed by God to make war. And for us in the 21st century, we can be like, what? It can be a little bit of a front. Like he was anointed to do what? He was anointed to make war. That's what he was anointed to do. Like, have you ever read Psalm 144.1? It's a psalmist saying, Hey, Lord, thank you so much that you have taught my hands for battle and made me ready for war. Psalm 144.1. I've never heard that turn into a hymn. Never heard that sung on Sunday morning. Because for us, we're like, ah, what? 
strong? Like, ah, well, there's a time when you make war. There's a time when, no, this has to stop. There's a time when the snake king who wants to poke out everybody's eye has to be stopped, period. It's called a just war. And Augustine, back in the fourth century, actually put out like, here is when there is a reason why you have to say, no more, this has to be stopped. And someone like Hitler comes on the scene. No more, it has to be stopped. When the snake man, the snake king is moving, he has to be stopped. And Saul's anointed to do that by God himself. This evil has to stop because God is a just God as well. So then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. <laughs> We're gonna make the vote unanimous this time. All right? that's how they did it 3,000 years ago. It'll be unanimous, trust us. Everyone's gonna be for King Saul. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today, Yahweh has worked salvation in Israel. And Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before Yahweh in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed peace offerings before Yahweh. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So these men are like almost in this frenzy from the war, kill, let's kill more, let's kill more, let's kill more. Never make important decisions when you're hot from battle. In your home, when you're hot for battle, don't make important decisions. Walk and pray. Oh, what should I do? And then return. And Saul makes a super good decision here. He could have, yeah, kill those people. They didn't give me a gift. They rejected me. I had to go back to my field and, and just act like a farmer when I was supposed to be king because of them. Yeah, get, he doesn't. No, come, let's have a praise feast together. You're all invited, join with me. It's brilliant. It's what I think Abraham Lincoln did for us, our 16th president, after the Civil War, where his advisors were telling him, you have to punish the Confederacy. You have, to, you have to take away their guns. You have, to just, you have to smash them down. But what did he do instead? He helped them. And like, you gotta destroy them. And this was his answer. He said, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Brilliant. That's what Saul's doing right here. Nah, we're not gonna do anything like that. In fact, we're gonna throw a feast for them. We're gonna do something amazing. So here you have chapter 11, it might be the high point for Saul the king. It's all good right here. He did what they elected him to do. In chapter eight, verse 20, they said, we want a king like all the other nations that will go out and make war for us. Guess what Saul just did? Exactly what they elected him to do. He looks like a king, right? Remember, he was taller than anyone else by head and shoulders, so Israel, I think, has been looking for a giant all the way back from numbers when the giants wouldn't let them in the land because of their own perception. We're just tiny little people. So finally, they got their own giant. We've got our giant. You know, there's something about height. Do you know that? There's something that, that, it, it's, that there's studies done. 
And they're not sure, like, is it an authority thing? Like from when you were a child and your parents had all this authority and, you know, to a child, dad and mom, you're like a giant to them. That's what you are. You're like this massive giant. Is, is it a hangover for that? Nobody's sure, but it just affects people. I worked at Fred Meyer when I was uh, in high school and there was a, uh, the leader of the grocery department, the head of the grocery department was this guy, I won't mention his name, but he was short. He was just a short man. And every time he would talk to the box boys, all the box boys were taller than him. He would grab a milk crate and there was like 15 inches. He would slide the milk crate over and then he would get up on the milk crate and like telling us what to do. And we'd all just be like, are you kidding right now? <laughs> really? On a milk crate? I mean, you're kidding me. Like Napoleon complex or something. It was just classic. There's a study done at the University of Texas where they simply measured the height of professors and then correlated with that, correlated their height with the amount of money they made. And they found it was a direct correlation. The taller a professor was, the more money he made. Like a one-to-one perfect correlation. It's crazy, right? So they got everything you could possibly want. Everything. He's tall. He's a fighter, right? They're stoked. We got him. This is awesome. And then chapter 12. Samuel is going to throw a wet blanket on the whole thing. Here we go. And Samuel said to all Israel, behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you and I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before Yahweh and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whom, whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. What a verse. And he said to them, Yahweh is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. So Samuel gets up and he really says, testify. I've been here a long time testify. My whole life has been lived before you, right? He was dedicated at the temple when he was a little kid. My whole life is spread before you. I love that. If you're young, there's never a better time than when you're young to follow Jesus. Do you know that? There's never a better time. I talked to the high school group uh, a couple months ago. We were talking about a bunch of stuff and I, and I asked them, I said, okay, so let's take a hypothetical person. Let's say there's some 38-year-old guy and he drinks all the time and he smokes pot and he'll do you know, recreational drugs and doesn't really have a job and still lives with his mom and sleeps around and just plays video games all the time. 
What would you think of this guy? Would you be like, man, that's awesome. 38, dude, you're killing it. No, they said, no, no, that'd be like a bummer, stupid. I said, if it's bad at 38, why is it okay at 18? Right? I trapped him. Like, hmm, okay, well. There isn't, there, there's no good time to be that way, right? That's, that's the message. Man, chase Jesus when you're young. I've been doing it, Samuel says. Since I was a youth, you've watched me. And then number two, he says, I've never abused the authority given to me. Man, I hope that can be said of me. I hope the people that I have been around would say, verse four, you've not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. I pray that every pastor could say that. Too often there's like this, hey, do you give ministerial discounts? I've never asked for that. I will never ask for that. Like what? I'm no different. Shouldn't have special anything, right? Never want to take advantage of somebody. Never want to take advantage of what I have. I I don't know anything that anyone gives at Edgewater because I don't want that ever change the way I approach people. Or it's like suck up to rich people or something. Real simple kind of philosophy as a pastor here. It's I want to help people's joy and I want to tell you the truth. Those are my two things. I want to help your joy and I'm going to tell you the truth. Because I think telling people the truth is going to help their joy. And you know what? I don't get a bonus for telling people the truth, right? There's no like, hey, you told people the truth. Here's more money for you. I get nothing from it, right? And it's awkward sometimes when I have a couple in the office and they're talking about getting married and I know they're sleeping together. I got to confront that. That's not a fun moment. I don't get extra for that. Oh, you told, oh, well, here you go. hundred bucks extra because you told those people to stop sleeping with each other, right? There's nothing in it for me, but I know this. This truth is going to help you. If you want to stick close when you get married, do it God's way. That you focus on each other's souls and their spirit. And then when you get married, you celebrate in this way. And it becomes this incredible act that solidifies the miracle of marriage. That's what I tell them. Because I'm helping your joy and I'm telling you the truth. So Samuel says, I've done it. And the people say, you're right. So that he's like, now I'm going to preach. You know me. You know me. Now listen to me. I think that's so important. Sometimes you want to tell everybody something, but they don't know you. So why, why should I listen to you, right? Like part of the reason why Samuel's saying, listen to me right now is because of the life that he'd lived in front of them year after year after year after year. And the way that he'd lived it, and they said, we'll listen to you. The best preachers have a life that backs up what they say. And so Samuel's gonna say, listen to me, verse six. And Samuel said to the people, Yahweh is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before Yahweh concerning all the righteous deeds of Yahweh that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to Yahweh and Yahweh sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. First point, God's been so good to you. Look back on your history. 
God has been so good to you, nation Israel. Verse nine, but they forgot. You should underline that in your Bible because we do the same thing. But they forgot Yahweh their God and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazar, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them, and they cried out to Yahweh and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken Yahweh and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, but now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. God is good, but you forgot. Your father's forgot. And Samuel's gonna give five illustrations of how God alone saves his people. Not a king. Now that's really important because they wanted a king to save them. And Samuel's gonna say, why? Remember your history. God has never failed once to respond to your prayer and to your repentance and come and save you. Read the book of Judges. Time after time after time after time, you would pray and you would repent and then immediately God would come and he would save you. You may have forgotten, but the moment you remembered and the moment you prayed and the moment you repented, God rushed, rushed to save you. I think sometimes we'll pray, but we don't always repent. I think those are both really important. You pray, not to stay in the same situation. You pray and repent. God, I don't like this situation. It's kind of a bummer. I'm changing. Pray and repent. I talk to young couples over 16 years. I don't know how many times I've had a young lady come to me and say, would you please pray for my boyfriend or would you please pray for my fiance? He's not a believer. And I'm like, yes, I'll pray for him. But, sweetie, 1 Corinthians 7, huge chapter on marriage. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Right? I'm gonna pray for him, no doubt. I'd love to see him saved. I wanna see everybody saved. But you need to do some repentance. Maybe you need to break up with him until he does believe. That's your side. Because don't be unequally yoked. Because I'll bring people in here five years, six years, seven years, 10 years after they've been married, and they're like, I can't do it anymore. He has a whole different worldview than me. Yeah, I know. That's why the Bible says that. It's prayer and it's repentance. And over and over and over again, God rushes to the repentant sinner. And there's power in that moment. So Yahweh sent Drubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. Get what Samuel's doing here. Look at your history, how God has been your salvation. He's never failed you once. And then he said, no, we want a king. When Yahweh your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, Yahweh has sent a king over you. 
if you will fear Yahweh and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of Yahweh. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow Yahweh your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of Yahweh, but rebel against his commandment of Yahweh, then the hand of Yahweh will be against you and your king. So here's, here's the sermon. God's good. You forgot. And here's something you forgot when you asked for a king. That God has time after time after time after time come and delivered you. He's demonstrated his faithfulness. And yet in spite of his faithfulness, when the snake king comes, you're like, we need a king. So God says, okay. I'll let you have a king. Do you know that God will do that? It's not his perfect will, it's his permissible will. Okay, fine, all right. Because the king that they asked for was premature at best. You could say even worse things. It was premature at best. There was another king that God was raising up, I believe, the right king. But they jumped the gun, so it's premature at best. And what was the reason why they gave, why they wanted a king? Do you remember? We want to be just like the other nations. How that must have broke God's heart. Did God want Israel to be just like the other nations? No. Be a called out people. Be my special people. Be a covenant people. Be a light to the other Gentile nations. Show them what it means to be a unique called out people who follow my way and the blessings that come from following my way. And they're like, nah, we want to be just like them. Isn't that what happens to every young kid? in our culture today. I want to be just like the other kids. Please don't. Please don't. Read the statistics on our kids right now. Please don't be like them, right? And yet there's this draw. We just want to be like the other nations. So what are you supposed to do? Well, he gives them this triple package, this trifecta in verse 14. He says, fear God, serve God, and obey God. You want a trifecta, fear God. He's God, and I'm not. So I'm gonna stop arguing with him. I'm gonna start demand, stop demanding a king, stop demanding my way, because he's God and I'm not. I'm here to serve him. I got a higher goal than Matt Heverly. My goal is the kingdom, so I'm gonna serve it. And I'm gonna obey him because if God has all the information, then he probably knows the right things to do. I don't have all the information. If I had all the information God has, I would make the exact same decisions he does, but I don't. So I have this great opportunity because I fear and serve him to now trust, I trust God, you've got all the information. So I'm going to obey you. That's the triple package. That's God's highway. Fear, serve, obey. And then he says, now therefore stand still and see this great thing that Yahweh will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon Yahweh that he will send thunder and rain and you shall know and see your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of Yahweh in asking for yourselves a king. Was it a mistake asking for a king? Samuel makes it clear right here. It was wicked what you did. You rejected God as your king. So 
So Samuel called upon Yahweh. And Yahweh sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared Yahweh and Samuel. Here's the sign. It doesn't rain during the wheat harvest. It just doesn't happen. So all of a sudden, they have an unnatural weather event. And they're like, whoa. We've been wicked. I think in my life, when there's just unnatural stuff, like what's going on here? Why is this not, not just weather, but just, just chaos? Why is this happening? The first thing I do in my own personal life is I say, is there wickedness in me? Is there a chaos in me that now is just kind of manifesting itself in these ways? Where am I at? Like these guys, whoa, have I done something? I start paying really close attention. And then it concludes by saying, and all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to Yahweh your God that we may not die for we have added to our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following Yahweh, but serve Yahweh with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For Yahweh will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased Yahweh to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against Yahweh by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear Yahweh and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So here's his punchline. Don't fear. Don't panic. Right? Don't start doing something stupid. Don't be like the kid that wants to cross a lake and he swims halfway across and he's like, ah, what do I do? And he freaks out, right? And tries to turn back. No, keep swimming, man. Keep going forward. You got it. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Keep swimming. Keep going forward. Why? Because of Yahweh. Because you're his people. He's pleased that you're his people. And for his great name's sake, don't panic. Yeah, you've done something. Yes, you've made a mistake. Don't freak out though. Here's why. Because his mercies are new every morning. Have you thought about that? How crazy is that? Every single morning, every time the sun comes up, it's God saying, brand new chance, Matt. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Yeah, yesterday you did wickedly. Brand new chance this morning, Matt. Brand new chance. How cool is that? How good is God? If I was God, be glad I'm not. I would give you new mercies January 1st, and that's it. And if you used them all up, yep, sorry about it, man. Loss of a year, I guess. And what would happen to you? You'd just be like, well, I give up on the year. I'm going to just complete debauchery. So God knows us. So he says to you and me, hey, stop looking behind you. Keep looking in front of you. Because right now I've given you a brand new allotment of mercies. How good is God? 
Don't panic. Don't freak out. Don't turn around. Don't go backwards. Be all in. Serve him with your whole heart. All right, you didn't do it then? Hey, no problem. Be all in today. God, I'm all in for you. And turn away from empty things. Really fascinating word study on that. I don't want to get into it. I don't have time. But we all know empty things, right? Cotton candy stuff. Man, that looks like it. There's nothing there. I was talking to one of my kids about a cell phone. I said, you should really, really turn on your screen time. And at the end of each week, look how much time you put into that phone. Because the numbers are staggering right now. Average kid, 40 hours a week. Right? That's a full-time job. I'm like, then take your screen time, multiply it by minimum wage, and think about, okay, this past week, I could, ever, I could have stared at this thing for that amount of time, or I could have 500 bucks. Which one would you rather have? Right? To me, it's a no-brainer. Empty things. It's a new year. Time to like think, Lord, what am I spending my time on? Am I redeeming the time because the days are evil? How am I using this incredible talent called time? And turn from empty things. And I love Samuel. Samuel adds two things to fear serve and obey. He says, as a pastor, I won't cease to pray for you and to instruct you in the good and right way. I love that. Man, that's a package right there. What's so interesting to me is you come to the New Testament church and the big dudes, Peter and John and James and Matthew, they're all together and they're being distracted by some stuff. And this is what they say in Acts chapter six, verse four. They say, we're not going to be distracted by that because we're going to stick with prayer and teaching you the words <laughs> because it hasn't changed. The pastoral ministry is pray for people and teach them the good and right way right here. That's pastoral ministry. And Samuel says, it doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter that you rejected me as judge. It doesn't matter. I will not sin in ceasing to pray for you. What a brilliant man he is. Unbelievable. And then he gives the key to how to keep on fearing and serving and obeying. And it's this right here, verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. When you simply take a little time and give thanks for the life that Jesus has given you, your heart will overflow. Your cup will run over and you say, how can I not fear and serve and obey a God that's been so good to me? I started talking to my son a little bit today and I said, this is like one of my practices. I wake up in the morning and I just spend some time, I just thank God for everything he's given me. Thank you for health this morning. Thank you that I got up. Thank you for this beautiful home I'm in. Thank you that it's warm this morning. Thank you that there's food in the fridge. Thank you that I turn on the faucet and water comes out that's clean. It doesn't have like cholera and garbage in it. Thank you for this incredible community. Thank you for the clean air. Thank you for the beauty. I mean, I just go on. And guess what happens to me? I just start smiling. And I want to serve him because he's been so good for me. That the motivation is I'm trying to get something from God. My motivation is, are you kidding me? You've been so good to me. Wow, how can I not serve you? You've been so good to me. And you're gonna to continue to be good to me because that is your nature. 
It's a brilliant message by Samuel. So here's where we end chapter 12, and I get 13 next week. Saul has this golden opportunity. Samuel and Saul joined together, dynamic duo. Saul getting wisdom from Samuel and learning from him and being guided by this incredible mentor and just, wow, unbelievable, unstoppable. That Yeah, it was the wrong decision to, to get a king at this time, right? It's broken eggs, but we can make an omelet with it. Is that Saul, what Saul's gonna do though? Because it ends with this ominous warning. Verse 25, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. What's Saul gonna do? He's gonna seize this opportunity to partner with this godly man who's from his youth up just shown this exemplary record, even has a witness against all Israel, and they're like, dude, you're the man. Or is he not? How about us? We can go from here saying, God, you've been so good to me. I want to fear you and serve you and obey you and pray for people and learn and teach the word. Oh, we can do that. Because if we do, we're established in something that for thousands of years have caused people to be, as John Corson would say, under the spout where the blessings come out. And that's where I want to be. And I hope you do too. So Jesus today, may we fear and serve and obey and pray and be in the word. Not because we're trying to ring the God genie, but rather in response to your faithful goodness to each one of us over our life. And so we need your spirit to rush upon us and to empower us to be the kind of people that are not forgetful, that are not disobedient. So I pray that you would fill us, that our cups would run over with your power to live out the beautiful, brilliant life you have for each of us. And I pray this in your name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.